0: Now, I got to tell you up front, just right away, um, I've been sick for like three weeks, okay? And I'm not kidding. So this is, I wanted to bring a coffee, a water, and this cold drink, because I don't know which is going to work, if any of them will work. Um, But this, I have a cough that's been dogging me for three weeks. Now, you're thinking, it's COVID. Well, I know it's not COVID, because two weeks ago, when I went with the doctor and said I was sick, they took a test, and I tested negative. And so it's not COVID. You don't have to worry. It's some other thing called like Ebola. I can't remember. And um, so if you're here and your mother-in-law is with you, you can bring her up to the stage and have her talk to me for a half hour. And you can thank me for doing so. Now, I also want you to know that um, it makes me laugh to even say, say this, but when I do a message, Daryl Darryl is a jerk because he, he he can just see a line, and then you can step over and do two or three paragraphs. I manuscript word for word. And I do that because I'm a little ODD, and I get chasing rabbit holes. And so I have to manuscript, okay? And I usually have, and this happened again, I knew I was preaching five weeks ago. This happened five weeks ago. I had it all done, ready, and I was doing some other things, and I end up going a whole different direction than that. And by Wednesday, uh, I had a, a message starting. I thought it was done, and that happened again this week. Came to Wednesday, and what I had just went right out the window, and I I hate that. It stresses me out, but I have a friend who's a writer, and he told me a long time ago, Greg, if you're gonna write your messages, you need to know the secret to writing. He said, writing is like giving birth to barbed wire. Now, that's the kind of pain I had all week, okay? So I just want you to know that's where I'm coming from. It's been painful. And this is a different kind of message for me. It really, really is. And somebody in the hallway was telling them that's a kind of a different message for me. And they said, "Oh, a good one." And um, and uh, I showed them the door. That was not very encouraging. But there's a lot of what's going to seem to be negative negativity. And I'm a positive person. And you're going to be saying it sounds like bad news. But the truth is, good news is not good news until bad news is bad news, and so there'll be some of this that might be hard to swallow, but if you'll hang with me, I think you'll enjoy where we're we're going. I have a friend from Alexandria. He went through a very difficult time, um, and he was a pilot for United Airlines, and he got brain cancer, and it was very, very severe, and he had to um, have intense uh, therapy and radiation, and they actually had to remove a large part of his brain And it was a a six-month-to-a-year process, this whole thing. He showed up at church uh, because he was bored at home. He was waiting to get healthier. Obviously, he wasn't going to be able to fly anymore. His wife was an admin at a church, so he'd help her out. And so when his first Sunday or first day that he showed up at the offices, I said, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. We had a little coffee shop, and we went and sat down, talked about some things. They said, well, tell me. Tell me, how are you? How are you doing? And with a very serious look in his face, he said, Greg, I got a half a mind to go back to work. I love that guy, I love that guy. And it's gonna feel like that, it's gonna be serious a little bit, a little bit hard, but, uh, but we're gonna take the positive, uh, positive ending. It's been a very, very tough year, I don't think I have to tell you that, it's actually been almost, it seems like two years now, and everybody, everybody's tapped out. People are angry, they're exhausted, fearful, frustrated, they're wondering if, when, please, will this pandemic ever end? We've seen staggering numbers over and over again, the amount of deaths of COVID. There's been a lot of people who've who've lost friends, me included. In addition to that, it's been crazy weather. We've had droughts, fires, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, and everyone feels anxious, depressed, and stressed, both adults and kids. they took a survey asking kids point blank, what scares you the most? And, and here's, here's the first two kids. Paul said werewolves, I get that, werewolves. And, and Nina said sharks. Dylan said, the unstoppable marching of time that is slowly guiding us all towards an inevitable death. <laughs> Catherine said, what scares you? Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of felt like that, it's just been so heavy. It's been an arduous, exhausting journey. Now, I have taken some materials from other people. I always like to give credit for that. You always know if it's really good, I probably got it from somebody else. If it's not so good, it makes no sense. It's probably from my pen. But this, uh, this part that I'm opening with comes from a, one of my favorite pastors. His name is Erwin McManus. Just a prolific writer, pastor in LA, very unique individual. I've met him. I've had the opportunity to hear him speak a few times. My son did his uh, internship there. But listen to what he has to say. I don't know about you, but I was really hoping that 2021 would be dramatically different than 2020. That 2021 would sort of be the etchy sketch year, you know, where everything you've endured and experienced in the past year gets erased. That that would allow us to begin to, the, to get rid of the memories of 2020 and put them behind us and fade away. I wanted 2021 to be fresh, invigorating, a new beginning, and everything would be better. But that is not exactly what has happened. 2021 really has been an extension of 2020. It's 2020 part two. It is 2020 the sequel. Irwin goes on to say, when you go through a short-term crisis, it has the ability to throw throw off your equilibrium. To momentarily stop you in your tracks sometimes it simply derails your life train but then you make adjustments changes you recalibrate and go back to the way everything was before but when you go through a long-term crisis when you face a challenge that is extended it actually begins to cause you to really refre- reflect and rethink why you are doing what you are doing he adds, in fact, I think that this is what has happened over the last two years. Many people are asking the question, does this really matter? Or why am I doing this? Or is this really important to me and to my life? Do I really want my old life back? And that's a really important question for us to ask ourselves. Does this really matter? And what I want to talk about in our time together is, well, the church. Why? Because things have changed. Things have really changed. Church as we know it is not the same. Look around you right now. Okay? Back up the clock two years ago. It's a different crowd. A different size of a crowd. It's obvious. The church doors are open, we're back in business, but business has been tough, not only in the secular world, but in the church world. And even when most of the mandates and nearly all restrictions are gone and no longer in place, things have been very, very different. What we're seeing is typical in America. Only about 25 to 30%, one-third of people have returned to church. Undoubtedly, there's... Uh, The ongoing lingering concern about COVID-19 and the new concerns about the new Delta variant spiking, people are still hesitant, holding back, keeping distance, I get that. But most social commentators have said or written that something fundamentally has changed. And that change is permanent. Again, look around you. Take it in. Here's the question, what are you seeing? Do you know what you are seeing? What you are seeing, folks, and I want you to grasp this, is a new kind of church. It's changing, ever-changing, it's still being molded, processed, and reshaped. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, uh, the image that came to my mind was somebody who had, was working with clay on a potter's wheel, also called a pottery, lathe. You ever seen that? And what I see when I image the, the I get of the church and the situation of what's coming is this. They got something coming and it's looking, oh, this and then they take it off. And if you've ever been around somebody who does this, they smash it all and then they start all over again. So you never really get to see where they're going with it. And that's kind of how I feel about where we're at in this pandemic season. We have no idea what's gonna look like, but we know things have changed. Everything changes. The other, the, other day, the other day, I walked through the, the living room and my boxers and the tank top and my wife cleared the throat. <clears> throat> I remember when you were in shape. <laughs> but she's right. We have no idea what's coming. But change is inevitable. What we know is this, and I want you to get this. This is a hard line. What once was no longer exists. What it is going to look like, no one knows. We just know it's gonna be different. So the question we need to ask ourselves as Christ followers is this, does this, this thing that we call the church, still matter? And I wanna submit to you that I believe it does. And you know the church was, birthed through Jesus. It wasn't an add-on, oh, I'm leaving, I gotta leave, you know, somebody to hold the office. No, he invented and created the church, and he said the gates of hell would never prevail against it. So it's gonna be around, but it's gonna be different. And so kind of as a backdrop going into what we're gonna be talking about, I'm gonna share a couple of quotes with you and then something from the word, and then we'll pray. One person said this, every 500 years, The church cleans out its attic and has a giant rummage sale. I like that line. Another said it this way. Renewal is visiting the church. Moving into a position of creating disciples, not pacifying consumers. Very powerful. And from the Song of Songs, the Passion Translation, I love what it says. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Sometimes. Change is a good thing. Let's pray. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I would ask you to release from me the things that you have placed in me for this day and our time together. What I do know, Lord, is we don't need another meeting, we don't need more information. But what we do need is a fresh word from you. What we do need is something real, something that moves us toward you and toward the world that you've sent us to reach. So come Lord Jesus, we're listening, amen. I wanna give credit to some of what I'm gonna be saying. A Good chunk of it comes from a guy named Greg Boyd. He gets a lot of bad press, but he's a good man. And he's a little off the wall, a little different, and it's one of the things I absolutely love about him, and he's brilliant. So I have nothing in common with him. But here's the deal. When the pandemic hit, nearly everything shut down. Most notably for us, as Christ followers, the church closed its doors, I think I can say for all of us that we've never seen anything like that in our lifetime. We've never seen anything like that in our nation's history. And when we finally had the opportunity to open again, there were all kinds of restrictions, including limits on the number of people who could gather together. And initially, the number was, if I remember, and that's not exactly, you do have to correct me, was 15. And, then, and that meant we couldn't have church. So at that point, many churches, ours included, Realized that that we needed to develop and create uh, our our online ministries to a greater depth. And the result here at Christ Community was we created a fresh new virtual space. And once it was created, we started holding services online. And as a result of just weeks into this terrible pandemic, we had this new virtual space that enabled us to gather online. We could worship, we could hear God's word, we could pray, we could interact with small groups through Zoom, all through internet. And ironically, during that lockdown piece, it did something we did not expect. And I wanna remind you of that. It brought us together. It seemed to have unified us in a unique, strong way. Technology is a wonderful blessing. I'm grateful for it. But truth is, many times when it comes to technology, there are negative and unforeseen consequences. And that's what I'm gonna talk about a little bit here. There's this thing called live streaming. In fact, we're doing that. And it's been a blessing, but it created something that changed the playing field. It created, for us, two distinct congregations. In the first congregation, we'll call you all, it's our in-person church family. In our history, that group has always existed, and even when the door was closed for a season, the vast majority of you who are in-person family still faithfully connected via online. And now the doors have opened, many of you are back, but many of us are not. Now, I'm not, if, if you're online watching this, don't change channels. Give me some space and time, okay? Because I'm not dissing on them watching online. Two years, but here's the deal. I want you to understand, two years ago, before the pandemic, our in-person church family was the much larger congregation. In fact, we'd pack this out three services a weekend. But a second congregation had always, or also existed prior to COVID, and it was our, 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 our online, excuse me, church family. But at that time, it was a much smaller group. The guy that wrote, uh, shared some of the things I'm gonna be sharing with you, his name is Greg Boyd. They have a, a large church, but they have a huge, what he calls, padrishners. And padrishners are from all over the world that check in to hear what he's gonna say for the weekend. And it's very, very large. Their Padrishner, uh base online is much bigger than their church, and the church is a pretty good size. But for us, we didn't have live streaming back then. For us at that time, each weekend sermon was recorded, it was put on our website, and people could watch it whenever they chose to do so. When the lockdown occurred, essentially there was no in person congregation, and so we all became a part of our online church family. And it kind of had an equalization effect, equalizing effect. When we reopened again, the number of people who could gather in this auditorium again was limited. I think it was 150, but it might have been uh, uh, like a half, 50% of our occupancy. And you remember, some of you remember, when you would come, we had every other row. We had space between families and, and people. Sometimes a, a person or a couple was here. There'd be three seats and then maybe another single. or You know how it went. And you had to sign up and to, to get a seat, to be here. And it was kind of funny because we'd always have 10 to 15 people who wouldn't show up. And we should have fined them. But we didn't. <sighs> but the distinction between in-person family and the on-church, uh, online church family has now kind of become irrelevant. And so it's a unique time for sure. And we're in this, this new reality, which I also think is temporary. This thing we call live streaming has been a blessing, make no mistake about it. I think a lot of us would honestly say, especially if you already were online, doing Zoom calls, it wasn't exciting for you, but for some of us who weren't doing that, was kind of cool. So when we first launched some of our online services, many families would say, hey, it's the Johnsons, hey, it's the Schmidts, hey, and they would just name all the other calls and all the, they would say they would say hi to each other. And and I'm one of the online, I was online last week uh, as a host and I I had four people call me and my wife was jealous because she's usually a weekend online host and they might get one. A lot of people now don't want it, here's why, and you say, why would they do that? Because when you go on screen, there's places for chat, there's places for prayer requests, there's places for notes, and there's a small screen. And people figured, that's a TV, I don't need the other stuff, and so they, they don't even check in anymore. So sometimes it's hard to track how many people we have there. I have no idea what the percentages are. If it's 50, 50, 50 are here and 50 are online, we don't know. Uh, Steve does a lot of that work for us, trying to catch numbers of uh, people who who check us out online, how long they stay on, those kind of things. But I am grateful for it. And it's this new reality that we find ourselves in. And it it begs the question, how do we... How do we respond to this and how do we handle this and how do we do this? And I think we have two options, okay? One of those options, the first one I'm not a big fan of, and it would be this as soon as the pandemic ends, I mean, really ends, we strategize and jump right back into what the church was like before. We kind of put the word out there, hey, everybody, we're back in business. We, we want to get the energy back in the building, so we're gonna start having great services again and go right back to it, and oh, don't forget to invite your friends. Jed Clampett, don't know if you remember him. He would say, y'all come back now, you hear? That's what he'd be pushing. But folks, here's the deal. Y'all ain't coming back. You're staying at home. What's really cool, by the way, during this whole season... There's a lot of churches that really hit walls because their giving dropped. And our church was unbelievably amazing. I think we were down over the COVID season 1% of what we would take in during the regular year. That's amazing. So we have a lot of people who have been faithful and this is the church and they give and they wanna be here. Some can't because of, of immune systems. Some can't because they've actually, I've had the lady come up and said, we're not coming back for a while. I said, why not, it's open. She goes, because you know what we're doing? We're sitting down with our three or four kids and we're watching church together and when those questions come up, we turn off the TV and we have these unbelievable conversations we've never had. It's been a blessing for us and we're just not ready to give it up. So I get that. But here's the deal. There's a new norm and this is what I'm reading. I want you to hear this, okay? Before COVID, a regular attender was a person that came to weekend services, church services, Three or four weekends a month. The new normal, a regular tender is a person who comes to a weekend church services once or twice a month. That might change over time, but most of the stuff I am reading doesn't think so. Yvonne, and I went to Branson, Missouri, and then a couple other places, and I found this mug, and it has this. I don't know if you remember this song, some of you remember. Easy like Sunday morning, remember that? And I bought this for Daryl, and then I took it to him, I said, see this, I bought it for you, but I'm keeping it, because I like it. And, um, <laughs> and I read an article that said, what happened is this, people, people they, they closed the churches, and families all started, all of a sudden, had their weekend. Yvonne and I felt like we had died and went to heaven. We could not remember having a weekend together, unless we were on vacation. We went for walks and talks and sat on the deck. I mean, it was only maybe six or seven days later, she was sick of me, but still, we had this moment and this time together. And people are realizing I was too busy. I was selling myself. We have people who come to church two, three, four times a week. That was the norm. You're saying, no, really? We have children's ministry, we have small groups, we have Awana. we've got all these, uh, we have women's Bible studies. All, people just realize, you know what? I love my church, and I'm thankful for it. It's still my church, but I'm going to make more time for me, for my wife, and for my family. And the article is brilliant. And so what people are saying is they're not checking their faith. They're just trying to grab onto life. Now, I want you to understand, if that is true, the changes that are going to that is going to create a huge. And the reality is, it's gonna hit some churches hard. One pastor wrote, he said, the biggest problem is that many of us, I think especially those of us in smaller churches who've had fewer resources around us, we're completely fried. And the 25 to 35 dip in attendance and giving is gonna be lethal to our church. In the last two decades, before COVID, in these last 20 years, COVID, out, 11 churches in America have closed. I just read this, it says one out of three churches in America will not survive the pandemic. And you would say, oh how can Greg, come on. Here's a scoop, depending on who you read, and I read a whole bunch on this, but depending on who you read, the average church in America is somewhere between 70 and 120 people, which includes adults and children with an average budget of somewhere around 85 to $95,000. A church with that budget, it's gonna be hard to pay a pastor, let alone keep the doors open and electricity on. Mainline denominations are gonna take a huge hit. And I, I, I could name the denomination I grew up with, and I'm not trying to slam, I'm really thankful I found Christ in that, in that denomination, but they're gonna lose a a ton of, a ton of churches. I have a brother right now who's pastoring four churches, Methodist churches. And why, because they can't afford health insurance, they can't afford you know um, any of these other budgets like taking people out for, for dinner or mileage, and he's got his hands full. They lost, I think they said 72 pastors in Nebraska last year and only 27 have taken other spots. Churches are gonna take a hit. Another reality for us, Volunteer numbers have dropped off the table. One person wrote, the weariness of the pandemic always appears most obvious to me when I'm trying to find volunteers at church. People are tired, so here's the deal. I'm looking at the clock and I'm just panicking. In the last four, for the last four decades, the church model that people most embraced was called the Attractional Church Model. And the idea was that we were going to try to draw up a church, a ministry, that would reach what we called seekers. And it was a missional strategy. And the idea was you put together an attractive service as a magnet to draw people who don't know Christ in. And it was a kind of a come and see strategy. And you hired, one of the first things you need to do, you need to hire a good young communicator. Good, young communicator. Okay, three strikes, I'm out. You would have a nice group of people who were serving, greeting people from the car to the lobby to the auditorium. A facility was more like a movie theater. You had audio-visual capabilities, big screen, sweet sound system. You had drama and worship and personal testimonies and a great kids program. And if we're honest, a lot of us bought into that, including me. Okay, I enjoyed it. But that's a ministry strategy, and the ministry strategy of that success is defined as numbers, budget, buildings, and butts, and that's how you determined whether or not you were fulfilling the will of God. And like any strategy, it had pros and cons. And again, I'm being real vocal here from the perspective uh, I uh, I was involved in that, and I enjoyed it. I pastored a church that was attractional and so i want you to know to a certain degree it worked and and again i believe it still works but not near as once as it did here are three problems with that type of ministry number one it's been losing steam for decades my son aaron got in my face one time and said dad it's been gone for 10 years but the midwest is always the, the the slowest to learn but it's over There are large churches that use that strategy. They have a critical mass of people. They have great facilities, most of them who are paid for, and they have money to go on uh, for a while. But it's not the church of the future. And the biggest obstacle of that strategy, looking at the future, is when it comes to the younger generations, it's a tough sell. They're not impressed. They actually like things that are authentic, intimate, and real. Number two, it was not... that model was not good at making disciples. I mean, I could go off in this for, for 45 minutes, but Will Creek is one of my favorite churches, I got friends who served there, and they were the epicenter, the, the pinnacle of doing this and doing it well. But they did a, series called Re, a, a survey called Reveal, and what they found out is they were only having somewhere between a two and three percent long-lasting impact on the people that they loved. And folks, they taught well, and they did worship well, And they were just kind of the place that you were gonna go to. That, I want you to know, they used a consumer mindset to draw people in and it worked It drew a crowd. But this model has never been good at making disciples. And here's the catch. If you draw people to you by providing them their personal preferences, faith can easily become about getting more of what I like and want. Does that make sense? That causes a problem, why? Because discipleship begins with surrendering your life to Christ, surrendering your principles for kingdom principles. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, tell me what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus knows he's got ulterior motives and there's another issue at hand. He says, obey the commandments. And I love it, the guy says, which ones? Because that's like, what's the minimum I need to get so I'm in, okay? And Jesus Jesus named several. Actually, he gives them six. Well, there's 10. Why did Jesus give this young, rich ruler? I was thinking about this week, the Cliff Notes version of the commandments. Here's what I think. Because he knew if you've got a consumer mindset, you will always run every decision, every opportunity presented through your grid of personal preferences. What's in it for me and what do I get? Jesus' mindset was different. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's where the bar is set. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. And that's what it means to be a disciple. It means you move from your preferences to God's preferences for your life. And if you've got a consumer mindset, that's not very attractive. And then number three about this attractional model. You're not gonna find it in scripture. It's a good strategy but you're not going to find it in Scripture. There are good things that they were able to do, and I had, to, I had a couple of my friends come to Christ through that kind of ministry, but it was never really rooted in Scripture. The fact is, the general thrust of Scripture goes in the opposite direction of the attractional church. In both the Old Testament and New Testament narratives, you won't find God telling his people, invite them invite the world to come to you. It's not there. What do you find God saying is this, go out into the world Take what I have given you and share it with others. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, as we know this is a great commission. Go therefore and make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything. No matter what version you choose, it's gonna say, go and make. We go to them. Jesus prayed to the Father before he left. He said, I'm sending them into the world as you sent me. It's about going. I like what Greg Boyd said, we gotta put the go back into the word gospel, and he's right. Giving up the comfort and conveniences of your own preferences and wants and giving yourself to God's call in your life, that's what discipleship is. And I'm just gonna say this, and I'm scared to say it this way, but it doesn't mean sitting in a pew and being a spectator. It doesn't mean going to the game, eating popcorn, and thinking you're participating with what's happening on the field. The command is to go there. The command was never come here. And that's the problem with the attractional model. So here's what I want to say. If, 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 we're, if, we're, you lose it, if we're using live stream so it makes our life a little bit more convenient and allows us to get our way, even if it means that your Christian your Christianity costs you less than it used to, it has missed the mark. If online is just another way that makes our Christianity a little more convenient and a little sweeter and easier, that can be disastrous. But there's another way this could go. There's a second option. It will not be cheap, it will not be easy, it will take all of us being a team, leaning into the Lord and tapping into one another, and it's gonna require a word we don't like, which is change. Transition, times of transition, transition are difficult for all of us. For some of us who are older, for some of us who are seasoned veterans, for some of us who are comfortable where we are and how we do things, or worse yet, are stuck in the glory days of the past, it's going to be even more difficult. It has been said, change is the process by which God invades our lives. So here's the deal. Things will change whether or not you want to go with it. Change is inevitable. inevitable. And this is the time for all of us to really see ourselves as God has called us to be. Folks, we really need to remember who God has called us to be. He's called us to be ambassadors. He's called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He's called to be missionaries on the move with the gospel. And we believe that here. In this difficult season, I get emotional. As a church, in these difficult times, we have taken... Unbelievable strides toward becoming a generous church that honors Jesus by loving each other and serving our neighbor. It has been overwhelming. And because I'm a part of the benevolent ministry, I get to see that firsthand. And I'm always trying to give some of that responsibility to others so they can be blessed. And we have said it often here. What we do here is simply the huddle. We come together, we encourage one another, we worship, and we hear the word and we pray, but the game is out there. It's always been out there. The playing field has always been off campus. As a church, I was at a church I was visiting at, give me about five more minutes, I promise I'll be done, so sorry. I was driving out of the parking lot and there was this sign and it caught my attention and I stopped and I thought to myself, Is that just the only one, or do they have this at the exit out of the parking lot at all exits? And I drove around, and every every exit had this sign. It said this, the church has left the building. I think we need to do that, get those signs around here. And some of you say, well, I'm here, I'm at church. No. Where two or three are gathered, that's the church. You are the church. So here's the ending analogy. When this pandemic and everything came to a sudden standstill, there was this This great, deep affection and appreciation for first responders, and rightly so. Because they chose, they chose to go into the pandemic, into it. Doctors, nurses, workers put their lives on the line for the sake of others. Some lost their lives for doing so. But they chose to go. And now with this fourth wave, this new strand coming, it's been exhausting, depressing, never-ending. We've seen a lot of spikes in the people who are front Line responders in PTSD but here's what I want you to get the world suffers from a different kind of pandemic we've been under the curse of that pandemic for centuries, it's a spiritual pandemic, a deadly virus we know it as sin And the vast majority of the world isn't even aware that that pandemic exists and they keep getting affected and infected and we are to be the frontline responders. We need to lean into the Lord and, 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 and with the spirit of God and pray, here I am, Lord, send me. No one knows what the church will look like, nobody, but here's the scoop, In a way that's an advantage, and you're not gonna like this line, because back then, we had become way too predictable. Most churches have been doing the same old thing for so long they can't see it. I call them the can't camp. They can't see doing ministry any differently because they've always done it this way before. They rely on yesterday's events, yesterday's successes, and yesterday's numbers. And what we desperately need to be and to do as a church in our gatherings, in our praying, in our times together with other believers, in our thinking, is to be more creative and spontaneous, more of a team mentality than we've ever had before. So what do you do? You take that first step, and it doesn't have to be a big step. It It can be a baby step, and a friend of mine, I just talked to Dave Miles about this yesterday, he always said to me, if you're gonna run a marathon, you've gotta take that first step. You can't take the second step if you haven't taken the first step. And what might, this is the question, what might that step be for you? Here's an idea. Make it your aim when you go to bed tonight, and when you wake up in the morning, that you pray this prayer. God, open my eyes to the opportunities today. Help me to step towards others. Help me to be ambassador. Help me to be the of the feet of Christ. Help me to be a missionary on the move. And help me, Lord Jesus, to go. Let's pray. God, you've called us to go. And this is the season. The church is gonna be here. But it needs to reinvent itself with fresh bread. And so, Father, I pray that we'd be a people that would pray, Lord, send me. Because indeed, that has always been the case. May we honor you by serving you, by following you, and by sharing you, even sometimes with words. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good week.